Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. If anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop-in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Play ball! Roger Bossard's a magician. The Cubs are off to a meh start. And the White Sox have already lost a whole bunch of games. Welcome into the Powell at the Park podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. Episode 6. This podcast just keeps rolling on. Appreciate everyone that's tuned in. And on this week's episode, I talk with Adam Hogue, who uh, I'm sure many of you recognize that name. Adam has been covering the Bears for seven, eight, nine years now. He has our WGN Radio Bears insider, but he's also added to his resume the White Sox postgame host on WGN. GN's the new flagship station for the White Sox. So Adam and Mark Carmen split post-game duty. So Adam and I talk about, um, we do fanboy a little bit. We kind of just talk about how lucky we are and how much we love our jobs and how um, how cool it is to be around the park, whether it's at Guaranteed Rate or Wrigley all the time and, and, and being in the broadcast booth and how spoiled we are and all that stuff. So you can hear us fanboy. But then we actually talk some baseball. Um, we'll talk about the Sox struggles so far, although they, you know, there's not a whole lot to look into that because these are the growing pains we all anticipated. For the Cubs, we kind of, uh, of course, keep them to a higher standard at this point because they're, well, they're kind of trying to win a whole uh, World Series this year, and they've spent a whole lot of money to do it. They're off to just kind of a mess start, um, you know, not horrible, not great, but there was some talk about making sure they have a a strong start to the season, although it's too early to really um, obviously hit any sort of panic button or make um, broad judgments about this team, and Joe Madden said, look, it's, it's going to be 25 games, it's going to be a month before you can ever can really start drawing some conclusions to the start of the year. But um, we'll break things down. I talk with Gary Cohen from Vineline. And Vineline's a great, um, the official magazine of the Chicago Cubs, uh, Vineline.com. Gary is the head writer, editor. Basically, he and Phil Barnes run the whole thing, and they do a great job. Gary knows the Cubs. He knows them well. So I actually talked to him from Wrigley Field and um, kind of just break down the start of the Cubs season. Now, last week I introduced, I told you guys, I'm going to start every episode with the rundown, which is whatever catches my ear, catches my eye, uh, piques my interest over the past week. And um, this is the rundown for week six. Monday, April 9th, White Sox are set to play the Tampa Rays at 7-10. A few days ahead of that, the White Sox moved the game up to 1-10 because they knew the weather was going to be horrible, it was going to be cold weather, all those sorts of things. It also happened to be a home opener for the Cubs. They were set to host the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I get to Wrigley about 10 a.m. or so on uh, April 9th on Monday, and it is like, it's a full-blown blizzard. I mean, the, the, the Cubs started on a three-city tour to start their season. They started Miami, then Cincinnati, then Milwaukee, then back home to take on the Pirates. Wrigley's like just unbelievable. There's snow everywhere. Um, they're trying everything possible. There's no way they're going to get the game in. Or at least we thought they weren't, uh, there was no shot. Um, then there seemed like there was some hope maybe because you just never know and it's opening day, but then they have the day off after on the 10th. So it all just sort of made sense to cancel it. They do end up postponing the game until the 10th, which I think we all can agree was the right move. They had three inches or so. Um, it was a disaster. Cubs made the right call. So then I drive 20 minutes south to guaranteed rate field and I show up. I'm like, what? 
This is insane. It's all green. There's no snow on the field. There's nothing. And that's uh, in large part, one, they had less snow than Wrigley, the north side. Probably an inch and a half less than what they had in, in the Wrigleyville area. But it didn't hurt that the sod father runs things at Guaranteed Rate Field. Roger Bossert getting to work. He talked to the media after it, how he was able to clear the field and get things ready for the Sox and Rates. Usually in the past, if you have like four to six inches of snow, say like last year we had a lot of snow, I've got a couple snow blowers that I'll use with that type of snow. Uh, today I didn't need it and I, I just came up with this and uh, I got fortunate. I tricked them again. Bossard went on to tell us about his new tactic that he used to clear the snow. The trick to this is if you get two inches or less, you're actually able to melt the snow by using the, the water. Uh, Chicago water comes out of the system probably about 48 to 50 degrees. So you actually can melt a little bit at a time. I had a little more than two inches, so I had to come up with something, and, and I don't know how I did this, but I actually used my mowers. I mean, Bossard's pretty incredible. He's just letting you know the temperature that Chicago water comes out at. He knows the exact threshold for the amount of snow that can be on the field for that water to potentially be able to melt that snow. And uh, next thing you know, Roger Bossard just pulling out riding lawnmowers and blowing away the snow. He gets the field ready, and they uh, they play the game. So uh, Roger Bossard is a magician. It's pretty incredible what he can do. He also said that um, you know that was one of the worst. Uh, or most difficult task of uh, he's had to do in his illustrious groundskeeping career, uh, but not as bad as one particular night. But it wasn't like disco demolition, let me say that. <laughs> so I remember those days, uh, everything went well. I, I have no complaints. And the players are very happy. Ricky's happy and, and uh, uh, Jerry, so uh, no problems. Disco demolition night will never die. Like, there's going to be books and, and documentaries, and Steve Dahl will continue to do interviews about it. And people will continue to write about it forever. Something about that uh, that night at Comiskey Park. So um, that's the rundown. I just thought that was pretty incredible. The fact that a um, nine miles separates Wrigley and Guaranteed Rate Sox Park, and somehow one was was postponed and the other wasn't. It's no knock against the Cubs. Things were nasty up north. Had more snow, um, but pretty incredible what Roger Bossard was able to do. That is the rundown for the first guest on the on the podcast this week, Gary Cohen. He is the editor, writer of Vineline, the official Cubs magazine. And Gary and I had a conversation at Wrigley Field kind of about the start of the Cubs season, but I also want to Gary uh, give him a shot to at least plug Vineline and tell you all about it. Uh, we're the official magazine of the Chicago Cubs. We are a monthly, so we're covering everything from the major league team to the minor league system, coaching staff, Wrigley Field. We try to get a little bit of everything. All right, before we get to the actual baseball part of things, you, you spent a lot of time at Wrigley, and the renovations just keep coming. And right now we're currently sitting in the 1914 club seats. Hopefully we don't get kicked out at some point here uh, soon. But um, curious as your thoughts on some of the renovations. The dugouts have been a, a kind of a, a, a hot topic for some you know reporters have talked about it. Joe Madden's talked about it. I think it's great. It's large. It's spacious. It's, it's new. But the sight lines are horrible. They're pretty far from home plate. Um, I'm expecting some alterations to be made, but what, what are your thoughts on the dugouts and some of these renovations that have been made? I think what you said right there is key. I think there's going to be some re- more renovations. I don't think they're done. I mean, you've seen that with the ballpark, as they've made these renovations uh, throughout the restoration process. 
things show up, and then you come to a new homestand, and things look a little bit different. So I know Joe and Joe Madden and some of the guys were looking at the dugout. They liked it. They liked the size. They liked the way it was laid out. But, you know, these guys are used to, to looking at the game a certain way, and they're not seeing it the way they want to. So, you know, Joe had said that he wanted the stairwell going down into the clubhouse a little bit bigger. I'd be surprised if you don't see that change made in the next, uh, in the next few homestands. But I, honestly, I think most of the player amenity changes that have been made to this ballpark have been fantastic. I mean, as of a few years ago, Wrigley Field just couldn't compete with the other ballparks. From a fan perspective, it's great. Great place to see a ball game. But if you're a player, at this point in the game, you've got to have batting cage. You've you got to have the room in the clubhouse. You've got to have the places to train and to, and, and to you know, rehab injuries. And all of this stuff has, has made this a place. The reason free agents, guys like you, Darvish, want to come in here is partially because of that stuff. That's not really the dugouts, I think, that are, that are drawing people in here, but all of these renovations together, yeah, help draw people to this ball club. It's almost like a, a university throwing millions and millions of dollars at their football facilities to win over recruits. I don't think that's the main reason they're winning some of these free agents, but it can't hurt to have some of these amenities. I almost thought you were going to say it's like a college program throwing millions of dollars at the players coming in, but, but I, I understand where you're coming from there. <laughs> yeah, that might have worked even better, actually, exactly. that, that analogy. Um, okay, let's talk some baseball here. Um, um, we just talked to Joe Madden, and, and, and you were curious. You asked him about you know hitting hitting line to line, using the whole field. And Wilson Contreras isn't exactly hitting a ton of home runs this year. Um, it's early, and we all expect that to come. But his OPS is still huge. He's he's, he's his slugging percentage is high, and he's using all parts of the field. So um, I guess curious your thoughts. Him and KB have kind of stood out for me in that department. We saw KB this week driving balls to left center and right center. Yeah, and that's something. A lot of these guys when they were coming up, if you watched them in the minor league system. You know, KB was a guy who was like that. Javi was a guy who was like that. That they used the whole field. Like, the thing that made me, that made Javier Baez stand out to me as a minor leaguer is he had power to all fields. And, you know, he had an undisciplined swing, but he hit it everywhere. And then a lot of these guys came up and they started becoming pull-only hitters. It seems like that tide is turning for the Cubs. You know, Wilson Contreras, who you mentioned, not a lot of home runs this year, but the guy's got a ton of doubles. He's really driving that ball, as Joe likes to say, into that right central gap hitting the ball hard. Javi uh, yesterday, in the last two days, you've seen he's had power to the opposite field. Um, Kyle Schwarber's been down here in batting practice working really hard to get the ball to the opposite field. I think it is a maturation process for these guys and I think if you see these guys buy in to using the whole field, this is something that Joe was saying earlier, you're going to see this team reach another level offensively and it does feel like they're starting to buy into it. It's really early in the season so we'll see if it holds up. But And then Chris Bryant, like you mentioned, he's a guy, that's something he's consciously worked on. As good as he is and as good as he was immediately in this league, you tend to think, well, he came up fully formed. But he's a guy who cares about getting better. And every offseason, he's gone in and tried to fix something in his swing, whether it was, you know, taking down that uppercut a little bit, which he did, his launch angle's a little bit lower than it used to be. And now he's going back to using the whole field. And, and obviously, he's got power to any part of the ballpark. Yeah, I'm happy you mentioned KB because it's, um, how would I put it? I don't know, maybe jaded, I guess. I mean, he's won an MVP already. He's almost, he's still so young and he's almost an afterthought because he is so good. You, there, there's, you don't have to ever worry about him his game. He's um, more walks and strikeouts right now through the first uh, 11 or so games. Um, I, I guess talk about KB a little bit because it's almost like people don't even, you know, I think somebody said, is, is he underrated or whatever? I just think he's so damn good. Nobody even worries about him that he doesn't even get talked about that often, but he's clearly a top three, top five 
definitely a top 10 player in baseball. That, that's the thing about KB is, I mean, he's... So there are great players all around baseball. There are all-stars all around baseball. And then there are all-timers. There's the Mike Trout in the game that you watch and you go, I'm lucky I got to see Mike Trout play. KB is already one of those guys. I mean, he was, as everybody knows, he's a minor league player of the year. He was uh, the college player of the year before that, the minor league player of the year, the rookie of the year, and then the MVP in four consecutive years. The guy has set a standard of excellence that's almost become boring because he's so consistent that I think people do tend to overlook what he's doing on the field and how consistent he's been and how good he's been. And even the fact that he is making these minor adjustments that are having an impact on his game. He didn't he didn't go, hey, look, I won the rookie of the year, I won the MVP, you know, I can I think I can hit 40 or 50 home runs in this game and start selling out. He really wants to be a complete player and keeps working toward that. And it's it's funny that it works that way, but like you said, there's something about that kind of consistent excellence that it's it's a little ho hum. You're like, yeah, it's just KB doing KB things. But I think people are cognizant of this, but if you're not, you've got to be cognizant of the fact that you're watching a guy who is absolutely easily on a Hall of Fame path early in his career. He's got a lot of years left, but if he stays healthy, uh, this is a guy whose number is going to be retired here, who's going to be one of the all-time greats on this team if he stays on this trajectory. And I don't see why he won't. One of the things we heard uh, the Cubs talk about all spring, we heard fans talk about, us in the media talked about, was a, was a strong start to the season. And we're not going to overact through the first 10, 11, 12 games. Madden said it the other day. He said, let's see where at after 25 games or the first month or so, and I'm fine with that. I'm okay. I'm not overreacting, but you know, I think it's it's at least worth noting that they are floating around 500 and out through the first couple of weeks when there was such an emphasis on that strong start. Um, I guess your thoughts on that, because to me, the, re- the reason that the strong start was a necessity is because Milwaukee and St. Louis aren't going anywhere. They're going to continue to fight the Cubs hard, and we saw it at the end of last year and how important that was, or how much it impacted the Cubs' bullpen particularly. Um, and then in the postseason, Cubs played some seriously meaningful games and series against Milwaukee and St. Louis late in the season that actually mattered. You'd, there was hope that they could you know, build that, that big lead in the division and not have to play these stressful games late in the season. So I guess just early impressions of kind of this meh start. I mean, it's not hitting the panic button, but it's just sort of been weird. There was that 17-inning game. They started three a three-city tour um, to start the season. So uh, I guess just your early impressions of the team overall through the first couple weeks here. Yeah, I mean, I'll preface this all by saying it's really early. I mean, everybody would love to be sitting at 10-1 and right now. It'd be great. They are over 500. There are some positive signs. So I'm not going to get too panicky about it. But like you said, it's you could see at the end of last year, these guys were tired. I mean, once they got through that Washington series, you could see, and the players said it, they were pretty gassed. And, and it's it's it takes a toll on you having to play those meaningful games and to really have to grind out that second half of the season. Joe Madden talks about it all the time, that when he was in both Anaheim and when he was in Tampa Bay, they had years where they won and they cruised into the playoffs, and they had years where they had to fight down the stretch, and almost always that took a toll on the team once they got to the postseason. As far as the slow start this year, I still want to wait till that month gets... You know, I, th- This series, right now they're playing the Pirates, and this series to me was kind of a key marker series because the Pirates have been so good early. I wanted to see how the Cubs came out and played against them. It's obviously a division rival. It's a team that's playing well. Uh, you know, I'm not totally I'm not totally sold on the Pirates right now for various reasons, but I think the NL Central, like you said, the Cardinals are going to be good. Um, the, the Brewers are going to be good all year, and it looks like the Pirates may have something. So if you can get 
a good early start if you can build up a lead early in the season it's going to make the back end of the season and 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 you know this is a team now that they expect to be in the postseason. It would be a disappointment if they're not. So you got to be looking at the postseason, and I think it's going to make the postseason easier as well if they can get off to that to that good start. And and, and now they have the target on their back. I mean, we see it in pretty much every sport. Everybody's going to play a little bit harder. Everybody gets up a little bit for the Wrigley series against the Cubs. Well, and it's not a surprise anymore. I mean, for so many years, it was like, you know, the Cubs would have these one-off years in 84, and where they just they were good this year, and then the next year they'd be down. That's not the case here anymore. Everybody knows, and I, I mean not just fans, players on other teams know, the Cubs are one of the better teams in baseball. I mean, if you look at them, regardless of how they're playing at the, any given moment, they're one of the more complete teams in baseball. They've got a shutdown bullpen. they got a good closer. they got a lot of strike throwers in the starting rotation, one through five. If you want to number starters, there's not a starter on this team that you could call below a three, and most of them are ones and twos. You know, they've got guys who hit with power. They've got guys who have patience. This is a deep, deep team and should be winning. I mean, this is a team that expects to win, and to your point, that does put a target on their back. I mean, even the, the weaker teams that come in, you know, the Reds aren't really a pushover, but they'll probably be one of the lower teams in this league. But they know when they come into Wrigley Field or when the Cubs, you know, go into Cincinnati, they want to prove something against the Cubs. You want to, you're going to bring your best against the best when they come into town, and, and the Cubs have that reputation now. Early impressions of you, Darvish. I want to see more of you, Darvish. I, obviously, he's got great stuff. The movement on his pitches is just ridiculous. Slider's not fair. <laughs> the array of pitches he's got is just ridiculous. I mean, it's like the Clayton Kershaw thing. When you know, the guy throws 96 and then breaks off a 72-mile-per-hour p- curveball, and you go, you can't. That's not. You can't do that. That's not legal. That's illegal? Right. You can't do that. <laughs> right, right. And Darvish has got a little bit of that. You know, you see that slider's unbelievable. The the difference in velocity between his off-speed stuff and his fastball's unbelievable. Um you know, by the end of this year, as long as he stays healthy, you're going to look at you, Darvish, and he's going to make this team a much better team. Obviously, hasn't had too many outings yet, but I think he's going to fit in really well, and he just makes this rotation so, so much deeper. Because Lester, although he's still a very good pitcher, and I, I still expect him to be a top-line pitcher this year, he is getting a little bit older for a starter, and, you know, when they when they paid for that contract, you expected the first three or four years of his contract, he'd be the ace, and then you hope by the time that he was starting to go onto the downswing of his career. I'm not saying that's now, but when that started to happen, there'd be somebody else in ascendance. And you know, you've got a guy like you, Darvish, who who's ready to take that mantle. And obviously, you've also got Hendricks and Katana, and you know, who's almost the overlooked guy in this rotation. Darvish just lengthens this rotation to a degree that not many other major league teams have. He's Gary Cohen. If you're interested in the Cubs, you got to follow him on Twitter at GaryCohenVL, Vineline.com. Subscribe to the Vineline magazine. These 1914 seats are pretty comfortable. Maybe we should take a little siesta before the game. What do you think? They, they really are. See if we can sneak into the club downstairs, have a drink or two, and then enjoy the game up in the press box like Harry used to. I'm with it. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, Gary. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's Gary Cohen. Appreciate him jumping on the podcast. I'm sure we're going to hear from Gary again at some point. Gary's a passionate about Vine Lion and passionate about the Cubs, and he, he's really in tune with everything that's going on there. So uh, thanks to Gary for jumping on the podcast. Up next, and again, I've, I've, I've mentioned this multiple times, it's always Cubs and it's always White Sox talk here on the Paul at the Park podcast. 
This uh, on today, the White Sox part of the podcast this week is with Adam Hogue, who, as I mentioned in the early part of the podcast, that Adam is a well-known name in the Bears world because he's been covering the Bears closely for many years now. He's our Bears insider at WGN Radio. Read his stuff at WGNRadio.com. We actually talked just a pinch of Bears towards the end of the segment. He's got some pretty cool things in the works. He has his own podcast, the Hogue and John's uh, podcast. He and Adam Johns from the Sun Times do their thing. It uh, gets a whole lot of clicks and a whole lot of listens. It's really great stuff. And if you love the Bears, you should listen to it. But Adam also this year taking on duties as the post game host for the White Sox on WGN. He and Mark Carmen split those duties. And uh, we actually start off kind of by talking about how lucky we are that we get to um, cover the White Sox. I get to cover both teams in town and the fact that we get to just be around the ballpark all the time. I, you know, baseball's my first love. I just have been doing football for so long that it seems like I'm a football guy, right? Yeah. Quote, football guy. But, uh, no, baseball's always been my first love. The ballpark is where I spent my my days, my young days, uh, young Adam Ho growing up basically in back what was then new Comiskey Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been kind of surreal to be in there, this last homestand in the booth and um, being part of the radio team. It's fun. Yeah, I was curious about that because for me, um, you know, baseball and football were always 1A and 1B to me, probably 1A actually being football because I grew up playing football for like 10 years, but I always played baseball too. And it, my love, you know, growing up were, were the Bears and White Sox. So for you, it was baseball was what, what drew you into the sports world at first. Did you play a lot growing up? I did. I did. Baseball is the the one sport that I can kind of claim as the uh – you know, some, some some kind of credibility. You know, with football, yeah. it's like, well, you never played football. You can't yeah. understand the game. And but, but baseball, I played for a long time, uh, long enough that I, I certainly feel like I have somewhat of a player's perspective. Like, I still play basketball these days, but it's pickup basketball. So for me yeah. to, like, watch a Bulls game and understand complex offenses and things like that, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But with baseball, like normal baseball strategy and just situational things within a game and uh, what you're supposed to do and different um, you know hitting techniques against different pitchers with or I should say hitting approaches against different pitchers who throws different stuff like that's stuff that's you know still comes kind of second nature to me as I'm watching games live so um, you know it's been kind of cool tapping back into that because yeah. I can't say that you know just watching a game in the middle of a summer when you're not really working that you do that all the time um, but certainly kind of taking a more in-depth approach so far in this first two weeks of the season uh, to the job. it's It's been fun again. Yeah, you mentioned it's almost surreal. Like, for me, it's the same thing, covering both teams in town. Just, you know, before this interview, I was hanging out at Wrigley Field for a couple hours talking. Like, it's still those moments, it still hits me. I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then I'm, I'm sure for you, one of the cool moments, I walk into the our, our pre- and post-broadcast booth at Guaranteed Rate, and I'm like, who is that? And it's your pops. It's his birthday, and he's just sitting sitting next to you, hanging out. I'm sure that must have been super cool on his birthday. Sox get a W. You know, you said your dad's like the biggest Sox fan you know. Um I mean, how cool is that for you? Your dad's just sitting there with you as you guys are watching a Sox game from the broadcast booth? Yeah, it was cool. You know, it's funny because, 
and, and you you know this too like when you the first time you do something in this business it's it's like whoa this is really cool right but when <laughs> right. you start to do it when you start to do it like every day you got to remind yourself like how awesome it is every once in a while like, you, right i try like, to I, like i make a point not to be jaded at all about the job because i love every pretty much every aspect of it well, and like if you had told me 10 years ago that there would come a day where I pretty much dread going into the Bears locker room every single day. <laughs> but like that's the reality of the job. No one really wants to talk to you. Everybody's yeah, upset. Stay, everybody stands losing. around. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, right. when's this? When do, you know, you get your work done, but then you're yeah. like, all right, when does this close? Because this, this is not, you know. And, yeah. and, 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 and so you do have to remind yourself like, dude, you're standing in the Bears locker yeah, the room. Chicago so, Bears. So, so you know, it's it's cool to be in that booth again. I used to be in there quite frequently when I was producing uh, White Sox games when they were on the score, uh, but it's been a little while. So certainly it's been, you know, cool again to be up there and you kind of have that feeling. But I think it was probably on a whole different level for my dad yeah. to be sitting in there uh, next to me. You know, he's been going to games forever season ticket holder he he go you know he was there um on tuesday just sitting out there in the outfield and so he's in the ballpark all the time but you know he he's never been sitting in the booth watching a game so right. I, it was cool for both of us and it was his birth you know it was kind of my birthday present to him for, to allow him to do that and um and yeah it was awesome it's cool stuff um let's let's go uh let's talk some baseball here um this White Sox team has lost a bunch of games so far in the early going first couple weeks. Um, hit, hitting with runners in scoring position has plagued them. Just some really horrific eye-opening stuff. But the numbers, where they were at for a while, weren't sustainable. You figure they're going to start hitting again. You remember, they hit, what was it, 12, 14 homers on their first six games, something like that. Yeah, uh, we, 14. We, 14. So we knew that wasn't sustainable as well. We probably knew this drought they're on, um, you know, on the homestand wasn't going to be sustainable either. Give me one positive so far from the first two weeks that you've taken from this Sox club. Well, I, I, I try to maintain perspective every day to kind yeah. of look at how these individual pieces for the eventual championship window are coming uh, together and so I, I think one of the big positives is how good Reynaldo Lopez has looked so far um, in his first couple starts. So that's something that you you know you you can't ignore. Um, and, and and I think that's important to do. And and the thing is is yeah they're hitting the one sixty three with runners in scoring position right now, but they've had so many chances, and it's not like. You know, I can't say that anybody is in the lineup. Anybody in the lineup you're overly worried about right now. You know, they've just sort of not all clicked at the right time on that home stand. Avi Garcia went through, you know, a couple game slump where he looked lost, but then he hit a double on Wednesday that that maybe broke him out of it. Uh, you know, Nicky Delmonico quietly, I thought, had a decent series against the Rays while everyone else was kind of struggling. It's not like there's anybody there that two weeks into the season you're going, man, they're completely lost right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they should you should be really worried about them. Um, you know, would I like to see Moncada strike out less? Sure, uh, and he's certainly been part of the problem in terms of clutch hitting. He's had a number of bats in big situations uh, where you know he's got a job to do. Wednesday against the Rays. 
you know, you're asked to get a bunt down with the runner coming from third. That was and, a disaster. And he just didn't do it. I mean, I, and he said, according to Ricky Ranteria, it's not that he missed a sign. He said he thought that Narvaez wasn't running and it wasn't a good pitch to bunt. So he just made that decision. Well, that's, you can't control the runner at third. You got to do what you're asked to do in that right. situation. And if he doesn't run, then that's his problem. You know, you got to do your job. And so these are, you know, but that's a rookie mistake. And that's the stuff you got to, just get out of your system here when you're at the major league level. Now, he then struck out after that. It kind of, you know, essentially was a double play at bat in a big situation. So I, I, I'd like to see stuff like that improve here uh, in the early season. But, you know, it's I, I like the way Reynaldo Lopez is pitching so far. Moncada, by the way, 21 strikeouts and 45 at-bats. Yeah. That's, you know, it... The thing about Moncada is he looks uncomfortable right now, which is, um, you know, it's interesting to see that because he does have an incredible batter's eye. Ricky Renteria has talked about it. His signature at bat last year was when he made his debut and he and he was down what two zero and he came back and drew a walk. That like that's his probably biggest strength is his eye. But that not translating into like he looks he looks uncomfortable out there. He doesn't have confidence, and I, I don't know how you like can translate because that probably has come so natural to him. The batter's eye aspect of it, if you want to call it that. Um, so like for him, it's almost like how do you say, look, dude, you 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 have an incredible batter's eye. Like just trust your instincts up there because he, he isn't doing that right now. He looks like he's all out of sync. Yeah, and he, you know, he does walk. He has eight walks, which is second on right. the team, uh, and that's part of that batter's eye that you talk about. And when he has hit the ball hard, he, you know, or when he has hit the ball, I should say, he has hit it hard. I mean, he has barreled a bunch of baseballs so far early in the season. So um, I don't know if it's just a, you know, him kind of feeling his way out. They're putting him, you know, he's in the leadoff spot. Um, the nice thing that the position that the the, the White Sox are in right now is they can afford to give him time there. You know, it's not like, oh man, he's killing you in the leadoff spot. And he's not drop- blocking anybody. You know what I mean? Like he is the centerpiece of of this rebuild. So you right. just keep throwing him out there. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like on the north side, you know, Ian Happ's not getting the job done. Okay, well you're in a win now mode. You got to find somebody who mm-hmm. who can get the job done up there in the leadoff spot. So I get that. Whereas the White Sox, you know, they, this is fine. I want to see him work it out, especially because he hasn't been horrible. Um, not great. Want to see him strike out less, but you still see the potential that home run in Kansas City he had. He smoked that ball, um, so it's there. You just got to – I guess the only thing I worry about, and this is probably wishful thinking for the most part, but I, I don't know if there's any science or concrete proof behind this, but I feel like most unbelievable baseball players or like those top prospects that come up and they deliver, you know, they really are with their – you know, they become superstars. Mm-hmm. They usually figure it out pretty quickly. You know, there isn't really like this year or so where they struggle. Um, and know, I we kind of saw that with Aaron Judge, though, right? I mean, didn't he strike out a whole bunch and then come back and smack like 50 homers or at least yeah. some minors? But I, I know what you mean. Like, the good the good players are going to be good. Just sit, like, look at Chris Bryant. He's really never hit a major slump. He's just a good player, and he's lived up to the hype. Right, exactly. And, 
you know, hasn't been perfect with Javi Baez, but he had a home run in his first game. You could see that potential. You know, see the yeah. Wilson well, like Contreras hit a homer in the, his first at bat with the yeah, Cubs, they, and it's not like that's too small of a sample size. Obviously, right. I know, I those, know what you're getting at. Those yeah. guys have been impactful players right away from the start, and and, and that's not to say Moncada. I'm not worried about Moncada. I'm not there. Yeah, but. He, he did fall in that category of number one overall prospect that you're hoping comes up and is really damn good right yeah. away. Very early. We uh plenty more to see of him. Um, I want to just quickly touch on the bullpen because Sox fans are already debating on who should get that closer spot, whether it's Nate Jones or Joaquin Soria. And now Bruce Rondon's all of a sudden into the picture, kind of yeah. out of nowhere. And he's we know he's got nasty stuff. He just sort of bounced around. He had some time with Detroit. He was their up-and-coming power arm. Like, to me, all three of those guys are just trade pieces. And I know some people are saying, well, Rondon's a guy who can stick around. He's 27. I'm like, well, like... The bullpen, to me, you're not exactly developing bullpen arms that are already in your bullpen right now. Like To me, it's a lot of guys who don't make it as your starters with your big, large crop of pitching prospects, then you can ease them into the bullpen. But to me, like to say Bruce Rondon's a closer of the future or setup man of the future, I think people are getting ahead of themselves a little bit. To me, all three of those guys can just potentially be trade pieces in a couple months. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, you know, ideally... I mean, Rondon was just in Charlotte like right. four days ago. Right. I, I, I mean, slow down. He's had uh, yeah. you know some really nice appearances here so far and looked uh, dominant in two innings. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it has looked good, and and you do see that power. Um, but look, they have so many pitching prospects down there in the minors right now that, that exactly I've been explaining to this to, to a lot of people around the ballpark in the last uh, week or so which is the bullpen is going to be the last thing that can exactly you can rebuild a bullpen in practically one off season with a few but, key signings exactly but hopefully they won't even need to do that because hopefully what the bullpen ends up being in two years is the guys that didn't make it as starters yeah. you know and and so like that could be Carson Fulmer. Like if Carson yeah. Fulmer doesn't work out as a starter, well, he, they're still not hitting him right now. So they he could if maybe he figures it out as a reliever that comes in just here and there. And I'm not saying hopefully he still is a starter. But my point being that with all these options and by the way, power arms they have in the minors. Dylan too, Cease. Some people look at him as a closer of the future. Although they are going to try to make him a starter, but that's a perfect example of a guy who maybe doesn't become your starting pitcher. He's got a nasty hook and he's got a lot of power in that arm. He could be like a perfect late inning guy. Right, so if so, I'm not worried about keeping a guy like Bruce Rondon around right, right now. Right, or, or I mean, or I Joaquin tweeted that Soria. out like immediately when he's. I'm like, I wonder how many pieces Rickon's going to get for Bruce Rondon, and then some people like even talking to some reporters like, well, he's only 27. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like they are just going to be grooming this guy to to somehow flip him for anyone. Yeah, in a couple if, months, if you're relying on him. Two years from now, yeah, uh, in your bullpen, something went massively wrong. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, the other part of that though is y- you really have to be uh, like a Rollis Chapman type uh, reliever to get anybody remotely, uh, you know, high quality for a type prospect. It, yeah, it, like, right. like just look at the look at the trade that the White Sox pulled off just to get Blake Rutherford last year. You know, from the from the Yankees, who isn't necessarily and the Sox 
where there was three pieces involved with that. That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, so it took a lot to get. I, I see what you're saying. I see what so, you're saying. so it's but not you, like, could, you could potentially couple like a Jones and Soria, if sure. you know what I mean, or like a Jones and a Rondon, and get whatever a middle. The point is, it's this. You got to f- figure out like the competitive timeline. Not get ahead of yourself. Get whatever you can get and try to develop a guy. But yeah, all those guys to me are just simply trade options at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's ideally what they are, and and that's part of the storyline this season too that we continue to watch. I mean, can uh, can they flip Miguel Gonzalez again? Um, is James Shields can he somehow get to the point where he, he's he's pitching at such a high enough level that some team wants him? I don't I don't know. Just about every White Sox guest I've had on this podcast for the first month or so, Adam, I've asked them which prospects gets you the most excited in the White Sox farm system, whether it's, and I've sort of kind of been like, you know, swaying people away from the obvious, like the Kopex and the Eloy Jimenez and even Luis Robert, we can throw in there. Feel free to mention them, but like, is, was there, because you spent some time at spring training. To me, the guy that stood out the most was Dylan Cease. I talked to Rick Hahn about that. Rick Hahn goes, yeah, he has as much upside as anybody in our farm system, and I'm including Michael Kopech in that. So see, that's those are Rick Hahn's words. So for like that's an example of me like kind of seeing Cease up close and being wowed by him. Was there a guy that you saw offensively or a pitcher that you say, okay, maybe not enough people are talking about him? Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, that Dylan Cease is a good one. Uh, Dane Dunning's off to a really good start too in, in uh, Class A right now. Uh, he's looked unhittable mm-hmm. so far. But you know what? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll stay away from Kopech. I'll stay away from Jimenez. I, to answer your question 100% truthfully, Luis Robert, and I only saw him for a day, <laughs> really, uh, but he hit a wa- uh, not a walk-off, but a go-ahead home run in what was his first Cactus League start. And then he ended up getting hurt a couple days later. Actually, no, it was in that same game. He, but which makes makes it even more remarkable. He hurt his hand. That's right. Sliding in second base earlier in that game, and then came up in the eighth inning and hit a go ahead home run. But it wasn't even just that the result of that game. It was the first day I had seen him in person, both you know just in the clubhouse and then uh, in a game on the field. I mean, this guy looked like Mike Cameron. Like Mike Cameron did, and Mike Cameron was like this massive, uh, you know, look like an NFL wide receiver type, and that—that's what I saw with Luis Robert, who is just sort of, um, you, you know, just stands out above everybody else, just from a physical standpoint. And even though that was an amazingly small sample size on the field, you could just see the raw natural talent oozing out of him. So I, I think he's really, especially because he can play center, he can run fast, he can cover a lot of ground. Um, I, I think he really has a chance to be an all-around special type player for the White Sox. He's Adam Hogue. You can hear him on the WGN Radio White Sox post-game show. He and Mark Carmen split those duties throughout the entire season. We're looking forward to hearing you guys. And of course, Adam does great work covering the Bears for WGN. Read his stuff uh, as Hogan John's podcast, WGNRadio.com slash Sports, you can find all Adam's work at Adam Hogue. Um, anything anybody should be looking for? I know this is a baseball podcast, but there's some news with um, with an Illinois State Redbird and Cam Meredith this week, Adam. Yeah, well, the biggest thing is that um, the Hogan Johns podcast, which is our Bears podcast on mm-hmm. WGNRadio.com, we're going to have a live show cool. next week at um, Dirty Nellie's in Palatine. I know it well. And it's 
Tuesday, April 17th, Dirty Nellie's in Palatine, uh, which is a great place. It's going to be from 7.30 to 8.30. And Jared Payton's going to come by. Nice. As is Patrick Manley is going to come by. Awesome. So that'll be kind of our first opportunity to really discuss the Cam Meredith stuff in great detail. An hour doesn't seem long enough with all those guests, Adam. I think everybody has a lot to say with that foursome you've just named. Maybe we go two hours. Well, that's the nice thing about a podcast is yeah, we can no go two hours okay. if I, we want to. I got to. a feeling with you know, Patrick Manley's phenomenal. JP knows his stuff. You guys know your stuff. I think that's probably going to go a little longer than an hour. Yeah, I'm thinking so too. <laughs> but either way, it should be a lot of fun. So yeah. if you're able, please come out. Out, uh, hang out with us, grab a couple beers. It, it should be a fun time. All right, I hope to uh, hope it up uh, to make it out there. Um, appreciate you jumping on the podcast, Adam. We'll hear you on the White Sox post game show throughout the season, and uh, hope to have you on the podcast again sometime soon. No problem, Cap. Thanks. Thank you. That's Adam Hogue, and this was episode six of the Powell at the Park podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. At K Powell seven twenty is my Twitter handle. Please follow there and um, subscribe, review, and rate the podcast on iTunes. Appreciate it. You can listen on Google Play, WGNRadio.com. Thanks to uh, everyone who's who's tuned in so far for the first month and a half. We're going to keep cranking these things up. Hope you guys keep listening. Thanks again to Gary Cohen from Vineline. Thanks to Adam Hogue. And uh, appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Powell at the Park podcast. Have a great day.